Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to The Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined by Bruce Feldman. Bruce, I always love when another publication just drops something that gives us perfect fodder to talk about on the podcast. Especially it's one that's in the dead of the off-season, Stu, as we are right now. We're like, should we do a podcast today or not? And I think we have some interesting, interesting material to pour over. We do. Now, loyal listeners may remember a few months ago us talking about this originally when we voted in it ourselves. This is Athlon has come out with their annual college football preview issue. And it's funny because usually when the, the preview magazines start coming out, you want to jump immediately to their top 25 teams. But I'm more interested in talking about this list that you and I were selected to be part of the panel, and that is the 50 greatest college football players in the 50 years that Athlon has been putting out his magazine. So if you heard that episode a few Months ago, we talked about how we had voted. I don't think we went through all 50, but we kind of talked about certain players and how we voted. Well, now the list is here. And so, first of all, go out and buy the magazine. Uh, it's one of my favorite preview magazines. It's my favorite preview magazine, I, I would say. Because um, Phil Steele is just a little too dense for me, although I do get that one as well. Phil Steele's is valuable for me, especially for the old old uh, Vegas odds. I, I do appreciate that. And for the, you know, obviously Phil Steele has never been on the same page with, with a designer who likes white space, but <laughs> it's chock full well, of information. Well, and it is chock full of information. A lot of it's about past seasons. Uh, it is good. It is full of information. And then Athlon's is maybe a little more visually appealing. I especially like those depth charts. Okay, here we go. This is the Inaugural edition of Athlon was published in 1967, the same year that a running back named O.J. Simpson led the Trojans to the national championship. As we celebrate 50 years of covering the sport, I think we're fun to take a deep dive and compile a ranking of the top 50 players of the Athlon sports era. And number one is the guy I voted for, number one, and I believe you did too, and that is Herschel Walker. Yes, we were, both, we were both feel redeemed by that. And my number two, also the same as the number two overall, Barry Sanders. He is my number three guy. All right, let me just list Somebody's off. Somebody's missing. Somebody's missing. Somebody's missing. Let me just read off the rest of the top ten. Number three, Archie Griffin. Number four, Earl Campbell. Number five, Bo Jackson. A lot of running backs. So They're all running backs. Yeah. Five running backs all in a row. Um, number six, uh, you want to stop there, talk top five? Yeah, just on that. Um, any one of those five not in your top 20? So the funny thing is I had – it's weird. I, this, there's so many possibilities you could have – so many different directions you could go with in this that I'm frankly a little surprised just how closely mine mirrors the overall list. Number six was Tim Tebow. I say that because I had five of the six – same top six players. I had Tebow third. They have him sixth. We you both had, had Earl, third. Yeah, we both had Earl Campbell fourth. I did not have uh, the only one I didn't have who's in here. 
on their list is Bo Jackson because I had Vince Young sixth. Um, look, college football, now we think of it primarily as quarterbacks, but for most of its history, uh, and especially when you think 60s, 70s, 80s, maybe into the early 90s, you think running backs. So I'm not entirely surprised that these kind of mythical guys like Herschel and Sanders and Griffin, the two-time Heisman winner, Earl Campbell, are so high. But I know you are, you know, I can, uh, the steam is coming out of your ears right now <laughs> over a guy who's not, not only not in the top five, not anywhere close to the top five. Not even in the top 29. Wow. Not even in the top 29. Number 30, Cam Newton. And he was what, what for you? Oh, gosh. He was number two. He was number two. Get now, this. Look. I had him. I had him twenty fifth. For some reason, I'm really lockstep with the the larger voting panel. With but as I told guard. you at the time, it's because he only played for one year. Well, here's my problem with that rationale. I mean, if you're saying, and this was the best players of all time, you know, I think you have to take that, you know, into advisement. By the way, you, the number two guy on there, who I who I had as my number three guy, is Barry Sanders. I don't want to call Barry Sanders a one-year wonder because he had a, you know, his his sophomore year he played three seasons. His sophomore year he did have four uh, kick returns for touchdowns, but he aver- he had 600 yards rushing. It was not like he was a big, he was a, a huge presence or an all-time great as a running back for his first two years in college. He had one spectacular season, and as did Cam Newton. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I do and think Cam. Cam put that program on his back and carried them to a national title. And I've said this on our podcast before. Uh, when you look at that team, outside of Nick Farrelly, there was hardly any NFL talent on them, and they won a national title. It was the most dominant individual season I've ever seen, but I do feel like this is – I treated this as a, uh, a career award. I mean, just looking through their overall list, these are pretty much all guys who had distinguished careers more so than distinguished seasons. I mean, again, the Barry Sanders, I mean, yeah, he was a great return guy his sophomore year, but I wouldn't, you know, I would kind of limit it to that. I, I just don't get how you have Barry Sanders number two and you would have Cam Newton number 30. Okay, it's a fair point. I'm looking at his career numbers now, 325 yards in 86, 603 yards in uh, 87. And then, of course, the huge 88 season, 26, 28, 37 touchdowns. He did have nine touchdowns the year before that. But I know, but he, he's the number two player. You know, you're, you're having a huge distinction there. If you want to tell me Barry Sanders is number 10, then okay. But it's like, how do you how do you argue it that way? And again, I'm not uh, disparaging Barry Sanders. I'm just disparaging the, the quote-unquote logic that you guys have employed here. So my similarities to the list even continue into number seven and number eight. Number seven is our first defensive player, Hugh Green from Pitt. Um, he was my close to being my highest. I had Brian Bosworth one spot higher. And Vince Young is number eight. You had, uh, wait, you had Brian Bosworth where? Brian Bosworth for me was seventh. He is on this list. He is... 32. 32. All right. Before we continue, why don't, why don't I just read off... We've gone through eight. Why don't I just read off the whole rest, and then we'll circle back and start discussing, okay? Mm-hmm. All right, so number nine is Deion Sanders. Number 10, Tony Dorsett. Number 11, Charles Woodson. Number 12, Tommy Frazier. Number 13, Leroy Selman. Number 14, Reggie Bush. 
Number 15, a guy we both love in Dominican Sue. Number 16, Orlando Pace. Number 17, John Hanna, Alabama offensive lineman in the early 70s. Number 18, Ronnie Lott. Number 19, Dave Remington. Number 20, O.J. Simpson. Number 21, Derek Thomas. 22, Randy Moss. It's amazing how many of these guys on this list you and I have worked together at some point. <laughs> number 23, Larry Fitzgerald. Number 24, Johnny Rogers. Number 25, Kenny Easley. Number 26, Anthony Munoz. Number 27, Marcus Allen. That's a heck of a run of L.A. players there. Mm-hmm. Number 28, Lawrence Taylor. Number 29, Jack Tatum. Number 30, Cam Newton. Number 31, Steve Emnon. 32, Brian Bosworth. Way too low in my opinion. 33, John Elway. 34, Ed Reed. 35, Jerry Rice. 36, Archie Manning. 37, Ricky Williams. 38, Matt Leinart. 39, Mike Singletary. Number 40, Randy White. Defensive lineman, Maryland. Number 41, Bruce Smith. Number 42, Jonathan Ogden. Number 43, Reggie White. 44, Chris Spielman. 45, Peyton Manning. 46, Keith Jackson, the tight end for Oklahoma in the mid-80s. 47, Marcus Mariota. 48, Danny Werfel. 49, Doug Flutie, and 50, Desmond Howard. I thought there'd be more big discrepancies. I mean, just go down this list. Number 20, of course, O.J. Simpson. Number 23, Larry Fitzgerald. Number 29, Jack Tatum. Any, there's any number of these guys you could say, oh, they're, they're fifth. So you're saying in the last 50 years, the greatest Oklahoma defensive player they've ever had is Brian Bosworth. That's what you said. Greatest Oklahoma defensive player. The greatest linebacker of the last 50 years is also Brian Bosworth. Um, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Jesus, still. Oh, okay. You think you got all the answers, huh? No, I don't. I just think you have a wrong answer. I just, I just want to point that out. The three, there's an all-athlon team in here as well. And the three linebackers are Derek Thomas, Lawrence Taylor, and Brian Bosworth. He went up to Barry Switzer and said, Coach Switzer, I know you coached them, but I believe Brian Bosworth is a much better player than Leroy Selman. Barry Switzer would spit in your face, I think. Where did you have these two guys? Uh, let's see. I did not have Brian Bosworth in my top 50. So you did not have a two-time Butkus Award winner whose three seasons had 133, 144, and 136 tackles. I had Leroy Selman... Where did I have Leroy Selman? I had Leroy Selman in the 30s. I'm 34th. And he was, actually, we both are much lower on him than the overall panel. He was number 13 on this list. Um, Here's a little bit of of an issue that I think, and this is, they had Anthony Munoz at 26. Anthony Munoz was a way better NFL player than he was in college. Well, that gets back uh, to how hard it is to quantify offensive linemen. I know, but he was like battled injuries. I mean, if you asked, I, I don't know. I think that this was a, I, I don't know. I think there's a little, some curious stuff. I did not have ahead. Munoz in there. All right, so. Let's look at their list. Keep going. Who do you think is beside my uh, Cam Newton? Who did you say, wow, I can't believe that person's that low on their list? Let me throw a couple at you. Okay. Uh, I would say Bruce Smith at 41 was a little was lower than I would have thought. 46 career sacks, 22 as a junior. And he was a dominant, dominant player for Virginia Tech. Yeah, I had Bruce Smith uh, 33rd. I'm a little surprised. Okay, I'll give you one. It's our Fox Sports colleague, Matt Leinert. 
the time he finished his, if he had if they had won the last game, I'm guessing the Rose Bowl. I'm guessing you'd see him extremely high in the list because you'd be talking about a three-time national championship quarterback. That being said, you're still talking a two-time national champ quarterback who I believe lost two, three games as a starter. Um, Heisman winner. I had him 22, and on the overall list, he is 38th. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I think I had him. That's actually where did I have him? I had him 25, one spot below Tim Tebow. Another guy I had much higher than the overall list is your guy Ed Reed. I had him 12th. He checks in at number 34. I had him ninth. Yeah. Huh. Well, that's an interesting one that we both held him much higher than the general list. Um, let's read the little blurb here. He anchored the back end as one of the most talented defenses of the modern era. Holds Miami records for interceptions with 21. That is a lot of interceptions. For a Inter- college player. Yeah. yeah. Interception return yards at 389 and return touchdowns with five. He also blocked four punts. Had 288 tackles, forced four fumbles, and defended 52 passes during his career. He had nine interceptions on the 2001 National Champions, one of history's greatest teams. He was also the best leader on the best team in the history of college football. So on my list, I had Ed Reed and Ronnie Lott right next to each other. On this list, Ronnie Lott is considerably higher. Now, Ronnie Lott's a little bit before my time, but I don't, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily get why there's a discrepancy there. Yeah, I had Ronnie Lott 16, so I don't think um, – look, there's another one that's one of our – you mentioned our, when you said Fox Sports colleague, Chris Spielman's listed at 44. I had him at 14th. Right Now, this Tra- is a little awkward uh, since he Woodson. was just on our podcast, but you may recall at the time we did this, we did this the first time, you were aghast that I didn't have him on there at all. He was like 51 or 52 for me. Yeah, I'm surprised that you you think Brian Bosworth was that much of a better linebacker than him. I don't know why you're so down on Brian Bosworth. And now maybe there's a little bit of nostalgia involved here. This is he played at a time when I was first really becoming aware of college football, but I remember him being the dominant defensive player in the country, um, like in that era. <sighs> and yes, you know, he got get... a lot of attention for the flamboyant stuff and the and, and for the take... Rick Riley, you know, SI cover. Taken on the NCAA, um, but you know he did it on the field. He, did, you know, look, he was a terrific college player. There's no denying that. Um, I was just surprised to see him as high up as he was. He was also surrounded by some great players on those teams. Let's talk about a couple quarterbacks. Uh, I remember when we talked about this the first time. Uh, at least I talked about how I thought it was really challenging to to rate properly rate quarterbacks from an earlier era when you just don't have the big passing stats that these guys do now. And I'm talking specifically about Archie Manning. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows he's considered a legend. Uh, but here's his little bio. He came in 36th on the Athlon list, passed for 4,753 yards. For some quarterbacks, that's a season now. Rushed for 823 more and accounted for 56 touchdowns in an era when those numbers were extraordinary. He secured his legend in a 33-32 loss to Alabama in 1969 when he passed for 436 yards and three touchdowns and rushed for 104 yards in a losing effort. Okay, those numbers are insane for a game played in 1969. Uh, I can't remember where you had him. I had him 
um, 30, 35th, which is one spot different. I don't understand how I'm so in sync with this for such a seemingly arbitrary exercise. Maybe they waited you more than they waited Maybe. me. Maybe I'm the only one who turned it in. Uh, Archie Manning, that was the question, right? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Where did I have Archie? I had Peyton 39th. Um, geez, I, I'm looking at this. I don't know if I even had Archie. That's possible. I mean, there's certainly an argument to be made for that. Peyton's in here too. Peyton is 45th. On the Athlon list, I had him 43rd. You said you had him a little bit higher. There's a guy who I wasn't sure would make it because uh, you never know how people are going to wait the guys that just finished their career, and that there, is Marcus Mariota. That's I know. I looked at this. I'm like shocked. Where did you have Marcus Mariota? I had him 31st. Where did you have him? You're going to jump out of your seat when I tell you. Very high? I had him 6th. 6th? Look at his numbers. 6th. Sixth. Look at his numbers. Look at his stats. You want to talk about stats? You're throwing some other guys at it. Uh, Marcus had incredible stats. I mean, he was basically the most efficient passer we've ever seen. And he was a really dynamic runner. He also carried a team that was pretty woeful on defense to a national title game. Well, just to be clear, he barely made this list. He checked in at number 47, uh, right ahead of two... uh, other Heisman winning quarterbacks, Danny Werfel and Doug Flutie. Um, you know who else is missing here? I don't know if you noticed it. Were you talking about Deshaun Watson? Uh, no, I wasn't. But I because Deshaun even... Watson's not on here, and I didn't have Deshaun Watson in here. But I wonder if years from now you're going to look back and go, "Why was Mariota in there, and not Deshaun Watson?" Well, no, I don't. I think you'll look at some other people and go, "Why was so and so on there, and not Deshaun Watson?" But yeah. Uh, two guys I was going to say, both Heisman winners, both very recent, and I had them on my list. Uh, one was Jameis Winston. Mm-hmm. I think I have Jameis like 37. But the other one, who I had 32, was Johnny Manziel. So I strongly considered him, but did not. I didn't know. I did not end up including him. Why did you not have Johnny Manziel on there? I think that I was trying to, in general, not specific to him. Is this a drug thing? Is this why you know? Well, first of all, we're talking most of most of these guys. We're talking about like national championship quarterbacks. He didn't really come close to that. Um, His second team back when eight and five. Yeah, but he led his Texas team to a top five finish for the first time. Texas A&M had done that in over 50 years. I don't have a good answer for you other than And, and by the way, not everybody on here, I mean, I know you said that, you, but some of these guys, and they look, we're talking about some great all-time greats, but Archie Manning's 36th. Mm-hmm. John he definitely Elway, did not win one. Yeah, John Elway, who was a world-class talent and a great NFL quarterback, he's 33. So let's, wait, let's talk about him for a second. To me, that's the ultimate example of much better in the NFL than in college. I would agree. Now, I uh, want to back up a second. Did did Peyton Manning have a better college career than Johnny Manziel? I think so. Really? Now, again, again, some of that is length of career. He was a four-year guy, not a two-year guy. Right. But I want to back up. Where did you say you had Marcus Mariota? Uh, I think I had him sixth. 
I want you to just read us your top 10 because I want to see what company you're putting him next to. Herschel Walker, one. Cam Newton, two. Barry Sanders, three. And Dominican Sue, four. Derek Thomas, five. Marcus Mariota, six. Jerry Rice, seven. Archie Griffin, eight. Ed Reed, nine. Vince Young, 10. Uh, Reggie Bush, 11. Larry Fitzgerald, 12. Okay, I wanna, I'm going to stop you there. It seems to me, one thing that I tried to do, and this is probably where Manziel was a casualty, is be kind of conscious of making sure I wasn't being too recent and making sure I'm spreading it out over the years. Your top 12 is very heavy guys from the On last guys 10 years. guys who I'd seen, yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I, I'm trying to be realistic. I mean, I'll be honest, and I'm older than you. I remember some Hugh Green, but Hugh Green was a tough one for me, especially when there are guys who who weren't, you know, skilled guys, or whatever. I'm going to throw something at you, and I just want this to sink in and see where you are with it. This is a guy who is also one of the most dynamic runners of any quarterback. His touchdown to interception ratio, 105 to 14. That is insane. Mariota you're talking about. Yes, threw for over 10,000 yards, 105 to 14. You're starting to convince me that I should have had him higher. <laughs> I don't know about sixth, but I definitely should have had him higher than 31. He um, also ran He also ran for 29 more touchdowns and ran for over 2,000 yards. Why then, given all of what you just said, do you think he was 47th? I don't know. I don't. I honestly have no idea because maybe because he didn't win a national title. I don't think people remember how bad the defense was that, you know, he put on his back. I think maybe it's just because people were being a little cautious about guys who had just finished their careers because Mariota is the only guy on here. Okay, so he finished his career in 2014. I'm just going to do a quick scan here. What is the second most recent guy on here. I don't think it's anybody particularly close to that. Uh, it might be Cam. Let me let me uh, throw something at you still. Hold on. Let's... One more. Let one me just more solve Mariota this thing. here. Um, yeah, so you have New, uh, Mariota, who finished his career in 14, Cam Newton, 2010, Sue, 2009. So those are the only guys from the last seven or eight years I bet you if you did this same exercise four or five years from now, you might see a Jameis, you might see a Deshaun Watson, uh, some other guys who were from like the last five years of college football. Christian McCaffrey, who was on my list, not in here. The the team that he took to the national title game, this is Marcus Mariota, was 89th in the country in defense. He he was he was that program, and you found that out as soon as he left. Uh, yeah. Just how much he was holding that program up. I mean, there's a baseball stat. I believe it's a baseball stat. It's like the uh, value, value over replacement player. Right. I mean, you know, and again, look, the guy who followed him was a grad transfer quarterback who was a stud. He just couldn't stay healthy. But that program backslid in a hurry without Marcus Mariota there. So I think they have about have him like 40 spots too low. So who is the highest, the guy who is highest on your list who's not in here at all? Because uh, I've got a couple who I had pretty high that aren't on here. Is Benny Blades on there? No. I have Benny Blades and Bruce Smith up a lot higher than they do. Uh, is Rod Woodson on here? Eric Berry? Definitely not Eric Berry. 
Eric Berry um, I had is 23. We have Charles Woodson, but not Rod Woodson. I had Eric Berry at 23. I have Michael Crabtree at 28. Yeah, I don't know why. Well, I think you went a little too heavy on recent guys. I think this list is too light. Especially given, like you said, I mean, guys are only getting more and more productive. I mean, look, here's an example. And again, this guy was a was a was an excellent NFL player. But it's it's challenging to put Keith Jackson at number 46, the tight end from Oklahoma, when he wasn't. You know, he was a. You know, might as well put Calvin Johnson on there in terms of being like a complimentary receiver option. We should just have Switzer on the podcast tell us who he would have had on there. Okay, guys I had very high that aren't on the list at all would be, and I'm really surprised about this one, frankly, Adrian Peterson, um, 17. What did you have? I had him 17. Okay. I had one even actually, higher than that, number 14, I did not Ray have Lewis. Adrian Peterson. Why? Because there's so many really good running backs. I just didn't have him. Technically, he did not win a national title or a Heisman. He was runner-up uh, in both of those categories. Ray Lewis, I remember you telling me, as a Miami expert, you thought he was not as good in college as I was remembering. Yeah, he was in the he was in the mid forties for me. I had another Miami defender who's not on here, Warren Sapp. Warren Sapp. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good case. I did not have him on there. Um, look, you ask Miami people; they think Jerome Brown was a better player, but. Um, Other guys who I had that didn't make the cut, number 36, Kellen Moore. Um, I had him at 49. I think, you know what, I think this is like, statistically he's awesome and everything like that. I think this is a little one where we both had like kind of like little, you know, sweet spots for him. Um, number 47, Pat Fitzgerald. Number 48, Barrett Jones. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, Barrett Jones. Yeah. Who I think we agree his reputation was higher than his actual abilities. But I think a lot. I think a lot of that had to do is because we in the media loved him. He was a good quote. He was versatile. He was a good, very good player. He played a whole uh, bunch of different positions. He won at least one, if not more, Outland trophies. He was, I believe, a three-time All-American. So, you know, that was that weighed heavily for me. It was like guys who won multiple awards. Pat Fitzgerald as a two-time um, Pedneric winner. And then, hey, as a, as how a, can uh, the college football's all-time leading rusher until Donnell Pumphrey, Ron Dane, not be on here? I don't know. I didn't have him on here either. But Pat Fitz is a is an interesting one because uh, I think the first time I'd ever been to Northwestern, I don't know how long ago this was. It's was probably ten years ago, maybe not even that long. But um, I was asking about his career because he was like the first player. Like the first year I really covered college football was like was a huge year for him. And he was very, very productive, obviously. And that team, you know, had a terrific year. I think this probably would have been your senior year in college. And I asked him about what happened in the NFL. And he was very, um, very candid. He, was just he didn't like, even, he didn't even make it off the practice squad, I don't think. Right. He was basically like, yeah, they, you know, they basically told me, yeah, you're not good enough and just kind of shoot him off. And he kind of realized it and. And that, and I just thought it was interesting where a guy in college football, and again, there's a name here that I, Teddy, our old editor, would be like, where does Bruce have Scooby on this? Because Scooby was super productive for that year. Like I put up a ridiculous number. But it was a lot like Pat Fitz where you'd have a guy who made a ton of plays, um, but you wonder how good is he in space? Does it translate at all? And I think that's 
kind of the challenges here a little bit. It's we're looking at it through a different prism. Scooby at least got drafted, right? He did. And Scooby was on, you know, Scooby played last year. He's a special teams guy for the Cardinals. Fitz didn't even get drafted, much to our surprise at the time. Um, two time Nagurski, two time Benaric, two time Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, two time Consensus All American inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 2008. Given all that, it is pretty remarkable. He didn't even get a cup of coffee in the NFL. Oh, I know. I mean, I mean, he had, he was a he was on a you know he was in camps. That's about it. But I think just one. I think he was in the Cowboys camp. I, don't I even, think he like. I don't even know if the, he made it past mini camp. I think that at one point maybe the Bears picked him up and said, "Yeah, we're not doing this" or something like that. I forgot what this how he how he phrased it, but he was very very comfortable in. I went about as far as I could. Yeah. Um, let me throw out some names for you and you tell that I have on here that didn't make it also. Okay. I think you, my number 50 guy, Cornelius Bennett. That's a good one. Uh, my number 48 guy, I'm a little surprised you didn't have on CJ Mosley. who's a great linebacker at Alabama. Okay. I would agree. But if you're going to have him on there, like there's about five recent Alabama line, but you could have Ruben Foster on there. You could have, um, uh, Dante Hightower. I mean, they, they've had a ton of I good linebackers. He, I thought he was better than those guys. But okay. anyway. uh, number 47, Charlie Ward. That's an interesting one. Who never, it never even occurred to me to include him. He's not on the top 50, but yeah. Now, of is, course he a little, is he a little before your, I mean, he was no, early 90s. I know, I remember Charlie Ward. Terrific player. Uh, number 46, and this is a function of living out here in LA, Richard Ward. Richard Wood, I'm sorry, he's right above Charlie Ward. He was a he was a uh, he was a solid linebacker in the NFL, but he was a three time All American at USC. One of the rare ones um, to do that. Uh, my number forty one guy, Jerry Robinson. This is also a function of he was a really good linebacker with the Eagles. Do you remember Jerry Robinson at all? I do he not. Was an NFL player. Okay, I mean he was a fantastic player at UCLA, and I'm I'm a little surprised he didn't make this list. Like I see some of the people who voted voted on it. Um, let me just read off his his uh, info to you because I think he was on All Century list for Pac for Pac twelve uh, consensus three time All American for UCLA. It was it was a Dick Vermeil guy. He's already in the College Football Hall of Fame. Did not make it. Um, USC by the way led all schools with six of the top fifty. You could definitely make a strong case for that. Uh, I think that was it. My high, I think my highest guys who didn't make it, Benny Blades, 20, Ron Woodson, 22, Eric Berry, 23, and Crabtree, 28. So the uh, the guys who kind of fall in the category of like greatest all-time plays or, you know, big plays like or kind of have that legendary spin – Kind of got tagged at the end, like almost thrown in there. Desmond, yeah, it, you're right. It did seem like it was kind of the well. Let's we don't know how great their careers were, but we should give them. The, we should get them in there. Yeah. All right. Okay. Before we go, I know you had one other uh, nugget that caught your eye. Do you want to discuss? I did, Stu. Um, interesting item or, or uh, the site we both seem to really like a lot for kind of coaching aggregation, coaching search had a. Uh, item that it scooped up from a Terry Bowden radio interview. And the headline is Terry Bowden, Saban might just be another coach if he stayed at Michigan State. And this is his quote. There are only so many schools in America that will give you whatever 
it takes to win, Bowden said. You put Nick Saban spending the rest of his life at Michigan State, he might just be another coach. But you put Nick Saban, who knows how to get things done, at an LSU that says, hey, whatever you need, we'll give it to you. Or in Alabama that says, whatever you want, we'll give it to you. Then they have the ability to get whatever you want and turn it into national championships. Some guys just don't have that. I feel like this is kind of like the uh, when they say about a coach, oh, well, you know, the only reason he won is he had that great quarterback. Well, that's kind of, you know, part of being a good coach is to get a good quarterback. Um, I don't I don't think anybody is under the delusion that Saban, if he had stayed at Michigan State his whole career, would have won five national championships. I don't know if he would have won any. It's just not – it's just there's a ceiling at some of these places. But could he have done what Mark D'Antonio has done at Michigan State? I would certainly think so. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean the, when he was in the Big Ten – Remember, it was Michigan had just won a national title there uh, around the you know around the same time in his run. Uh, he obviously had a great feel for you know staffing. You look at some of the graduate assistants he had, and a lot of those guys have gone on to to big big success. Uh, I don't know. Do you think he went, would win a national title if he had stayed there longer? No, because I don't know what his. You know, when we've talked about this, to win a national, there's a group of about 15 schools I think you can win a national title from, and that's not one of them. Now, Michigan State made the playoff a couple years ago, but got shellacked, and I don't think they could have beaten two teams that that have better, that just recruit better, have more talented players. And now, we didn't have rivals in scout at the time, or 247 at the time that Saban was at Michigan State, so I don't really know. You know, was he considered a great recruiter then? He certainly became known as one almost immediately upon getting to LSU. But, you know, it's hard to recruit at Michigan State. You know, D'Antonio's best teams were not built on four- and five-star recruits. They were built on the, um, you know, Darquez Denard types who were two-star recruits. No, I don't think he would have won a national title, but he obviously had them going in the right direction. And I think... Unfortunately, a lot of times they do have to move up to those national championship type schools to ultimately validate it, right? Yeah, I mean it's also worth noting that before he took over, when he was before he got to to East Lansing, George Perlis had had four consecutive losing seasons there, so it wasn't like you know he jumped in and it was it was really you know cranked up. And I also think you know guys evolve and they and they get a better feel for what works. And I I think he just from talking to people who've worked with him, has learned a lot even from his time at LSU and continued to to get better. But, you know, when it comes to this and resources, and that you can consider resources and commitment into a lot of different things, uh, I, I, the way I phrase it is no one is com- committed to playing and winning college football at the highest level the way Alabama is any more so than they are. And that you can lump a lot of things in with that. But I think that's the reality. I think that's why he's still there because he knows, you know, how that place is 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 running. And, I, you know, so I think what what Terry Bowden said, I think there's probably some validity into it. I think sometimes, you know, I I don't think the read is, oh, Nick Saban would have just been an average coach if he never got to the SEC. I don't think it's quite that either, though. No. Um, And and also, if, you know, uh. A really good coach, or in his case, legendary coach, um, makes a huge difference because, look, you mentioned George Perlis' stint before he got there. 
What about the 17 years of Alabama football before Saban got there? You know, they had a national title in 92 and then fell completely off the map. Some of that, actually a lot of that was scandals and probation. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we've seen this all over the place, right? You can't just plug just anybody in out of traditional power and expect them to dominate. It takes a particularly special coach to pull off what he's pulling off right now. So I have to think, given all that, and like you said, he has evolved as a coach, and it's really impossible to say how that evolution would have differed if he never went down to the SEC. But I have to think if he had stayed at Michigan State, where he went 9-2 and two the last year, and that was a big year for them, that they would have they would have become a consistent contender in the Big Ten. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I, I definitely think you're right with that. So, hey, uh, one other thing before we go. Uh, congratulations to our old Audible guest, Myron Roll. He got his degree over the weekend in neurosurgery. That's not a uh, not a small thing. Not so. a small thing, and really awesome to think back to talking to him about that. You know, when he was. Well, for you, I mean, for me, he was probably 20, 21 years old. For you, even younger than that, to achieve that dream that he's been thinking about for so long. Yes. Yeah, it's very true. I mean, he was always way more mature than his age. And to do that and all the steps it took was very, uh, was an awesome accomplishment. So I have a, I have a, a, an odd Myron Roll twist or whatever it relates to our, uh, our, we had two wedding crashers and he was responsible for them. So at our wedding. Was he one of them? He was there. He was. He was. He was there. No, it was like literally. We we had a, what do you call those like wedding coordinators or whatever? Like ours came with the venue, and she was like, she came over to our table and she said, uh, "I think we had just walked in. You do that entrance deal or whatever." And she goes, "Is everything okay? Yeah, everything's fine." She goes, "Oh yeah, just two of your guests didn't realize they weren't plus one. They brought people." And I was like, "Oh yeah, I bet I know who did that." So, and what, was, and Myra's plus one was his brother, no. No, it was he and his brother. We invited them because I knew, you know, got to know them real well. But they each, uh, one of their plus ones is a guy who's in Long Beach. Well, I know a little bit now, but it was just like, hey, you brought up Bradley and whoever the other guy was. It was just kind of random. We had like to just sit him at, you know, odd places in the uh, in the venue because, you know, as weddings are, you don't always have the flexibility to do that. So <laughs> nothing quite scandalous to it. It wasn't like it was a uh, – Vince Vaughn movie or anything like that. No, not not even close. So we could do one of two things now. I could read off the Remington watch list <laughs> of returning centers, or we could call this a, call this an episode. Come back next time. Let's call it an episode. All right. You. As always, send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We'll get to those next time. And if you enjoy the Audible, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get podcasts. Leave us a five-star review while you're at it. It helps get the word out. We'll see you next time.